Good morning, Foothills. I'm happy that I get to welcome each and every one of you here this morning, whether you're joining us in the audience or whether you're joining us online on the online campus. It's great to have you today, and we're excited that you're here, even in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, We've been talking a lot about the coronavirus pandemic in one way or another, and one of the ways we've been talking about it recently is in this whole essential versus non-essential debate classification that's been going on. I remember when I first got sent to work from home, my wife is a teacher, And back in March, or I think it was March or April, I don't even remember at this point because it feels like it was yesterday and also 10 years ago. Um, But I remember when she got sent home and and I got sent to work from home. And it's for me, I'm still working from home. Luckily, she gets to go back and teach her students. But it's been quite the experience. And we've had this big debate and this label that's been placed on many people as essential or non-essential which is kind of a really sad way to label people. I know it's only supposed to be for their job, and it's supposed to be in reference to what they do for the workforce and in reference to spreading the virus and everything, but it's still kind of a a sad word to use to describe people and their lifestyle and their livelihood and what they do. And so what we wanted to do was ask the question, what does God consider essential? What is it that God considers essential in our lives and in who we are? So we've been in the book of Ephesians for the last couple of weeks, and the first week we went over Ephesians chapter 1, which says that you as a human are essential because you are part of God's plan. God has a plan for this world. He has a plan for his kingdom, and you are part of it, every single one of you. And that makes you an essential person, no matter what our society or our culture says. We also talked in week two about how our faith is incredibly essential. Our faith is what allows us to receive God's gifts from him. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, verse eight and nine, it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's a gift from God. And through faith, we receive all of our gifts from God. He has them. He offers them to us. He wants us to receive them. But our faith is essential because that is how we are able to receive our gifts from God. And then today, we're going to talk about something that I am very well versed in, something that I've been studying for an incredible amount of time, and that is marriage. I've been married for two and a half months And let me tell you, I'd say I'm pretty good at it by now. You know, it's just, well, what's there to know? I just, I got married. It happened. I think uh, they have a picture of that. Uh, I don't know if they showed it already or not. But anyway, yeah, I got, uh, got married in July 10th. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I am very lucky. I got the much better end of the deal. So did very well there. But I think, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was as kind of an ironic joke or if some 4D chess is going on. But Pastor Doug said he wanted me to preach this day. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll preach for you. He said, great, you're going to be preaching to everybody about marriage. And so, again, I'm not sure if it's like one of those evil genius moments or if it's like one of those, we're just going to throw them out there and see what happens, guys. It's going to be great. But whatever the reason... I think it's going to go well today, because if there's one thing I know about marriage, it's that I know nothing about marriage. 
It's that just about everybody out there has a lot more experience with marriage than I do. They have learned a great many more things than I have learned, and I'm excited to learn from all of you as uh, I get to know each and every one of you better and better. But because I know so little about marriage, I'm just going to stick with the Bible today, and I think that's going to work out okay. So if there's anything that I say that's from my experience, please immediately disregard it because you have more experience than me. And we're just going to stick with the scripture because I think that's probably the safest bet at that point. To talk about how marriage is essential, we're going to be focusing on two passages of scripture today. First off, we're going to be in Ephesians. We, like I said earlier, we were in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this week, we're going to jump forward a little bit to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and then we're also going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And we're actually going to start in Genesis because there's a really important reason to talk about Genesis first. And the reason why it's important to talk about Genesis first is because part of the reason why marriage is so essential is because God gave it to us, not in our fallen, broken state, but when we were still in paradise with him. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start off in verse 18. You can follow along on your app the Bible app, the Foothills app. You can follow along on the screen. If you're really old school, you can follow along in like a book. I don't know if they still sell those, but you know, whatever floats your boat. We're going to start in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We see here, God is creating a relationship for Adam. See, God had created Adam. He had created the world. He had finished creation by this point. Almost, almost, but not quite. Because he looked at Adam and he said, Adam needs someone to have a relationship with. Adam has all of the animals of the world under in his domain. Adam is walking with God in the Garden of Eden at this point. It says after the fall, after sin enters into the world, Adam and Eve hide from God as he walks through the garden. Which the, that has to mean that before the fall, they were able to walk with him in the garden. So Adam is able to walk in, with, beside God in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. And what does God still say? It is not good for man to be alone. Even in paradise, even when he had community with God, even when he had everything that we could ever dream of, and in God's pure, perfect plan before sin enters into the world, God still said something was missing. And what was missing was a helper for him. What was missing was a relationship for Adam to have besides just having one with God. 
And what does that relationship become? What is that helper that Adam needs and that God gives him? It is a wife. You see, the relationship of husband and wife is a reflection of God's image in us at creation. The relationship of a husband and wife, this relationship that spouses are supposed to have with each other, this intimate, beautiful, close relationship that God designed for spouses to have each other is a reflection of God's image in us at creation. This was before sin. This was before any of the bad stuff that happens in Genesis chapter 3 comes along. And even in this state of purity and perfection and beauty in paradise, God gives us the gift of of marriage. Marriage is one of the first gifts that God gives to us. It predates all of these other things that he has given. It predates religion. It predates the law that is given to the Israelites. It predates the Bible that we have here to read today. It predates the salvation that we have through believing in him. It predates the cross. It predates all of these things. It is one of the first gifts that we are given by God, and that is the gift of marriage. It also predates every societal structure that we know of. It predates religion. Judaism does not exist yet. Christianity definitely does not exist yet. It predates government. It even predates like a family with children at this point. The first relationship that a man experiences besides his divine relationship with God is a relationship with a wife. The first human relationship is a relationship of husband and wife. How can we conclude that marriage is anything but essential in this case? It's a beautiful, amazing gift from God, meant not just for the broken, sad, fallen world that we live in, but it's also meant for this glorious paradise that he created for us originally. Marriage is an essential part of God's plan that is so essential it was given to us before sin entered into the world. But sin did enter into the world despite the fact that this gift was made for a perfect paradise, a pure reflection of God's creation, that's not where we live anymore, is it? We don't live in the Garden of Eden. We don't live in a paradise free from sin. We don't live where we physically walk with God through the Garden of Eden. So where does marriage fit in now? Where does this gift that's amazing, that's meant for beauty and trueness and intimacy Where does that fit in now in this fallen world? And why would God give us something that was meant for paradise, that was built for a place where there had not been, there was no sin yet, if he knew that there would be sin, if he knew that we would be fallen, if he knew all that would happen would happen, why would he give us a gift meant for paradise that exists in this world today that is broken and fallen and sinful? That's why we have to go back to Ephesians 2. Because yes, marriage is essential. And marriage is this amazing, beautiful gift that God gives us. But we can't forget where it was given. See, marriage was not given to this world that we live in. It was given to a world without sin. And now we live in sin. 
So what do we do? How do we live with this essential, beautiful gift God has given us in a world that has changed so radically since this gift was given? That's why we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5 because we're going to say what Paul says about marriage in the context of a sinful world. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start off in verse 21 where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to yourself, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Pay attention as we go through this to how often Paul relates marriage, whether it be how a husband is supposed to act or how a wife is supposed to act in relation to Christ and God. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her body, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This passage is about marriage. It's about a husband and wife. But for something that is about a husband and a wife, there's a whole lot of talk about the church and Jesus in there too, isn't there? See, Paul writes and compares consistently through this passage. He compares the relationship of a husband and wife to the relationship of Jesus and the church constantly because marriage is a tangible example of Christ's love for the church and by extension for us. The church is not this building. The church is not a place on a map. The church is not a place that we go to. We as followers of Christ, as children in his kingdom, as adopted sons and daughters of him, we are the church. So when Paul writes about how Christ loves the church, he's talking about how Christ loves each and every one of us. He's talking about how Christ loves each and every one of you. And so the analogy that Paul chooses to display the love, the respect, the care, the reverence that should exist between a husband and wife is the relationship between Christ and you. Such a beautiful, powerful, amazing example of how marriage is supposed to work in this fallen world. And the power of this analogy works both ways. We know how Christ loves us. We know that he gave everything. We know he went to a cross to drink of our cup and to wipe away and forgive our sin. And we love him and we thank him for that. And that's how a marriage should be. And then we can also see the other way, a beautiful, blessed, intimate, 
wonderful marriage is a tangible, real-world example of how Christ loves us. I can remember many times when I have messed up and I've just done, maybe they were dumb things or whatever, but I've caused hardship or trouble for my wife. And even though I don't deserve it, she forgives me and loves me. And in those moments, I can see the love and grace and forgiveness of God through her actions and how she treats me. And it's amazing and beautiful. And it helps me see Jesus in a whole new light because I know how much he loves me at that point. And instead of just reading about it, instead of just talking to him through prayer and feeling it, I can see it come from another person who is inspired by him. It's an amazing, incredible thing. And it is a real, real world, tangible thing that you can touch and feel to understand how much God loves you. It's so incredibly beautiful that that is the analogy that Paul picks out in Ephesians for us to understand what a true, healthy, good marriage looks like. But there's another part of marriage that is incredible and beautiful as well. And that is what Paul talks about in verse 32 where he says, It is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This profound mystery, what is he talking about? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. We don't fully understand how God works in that way. We don't fully understand how he does it. What we do know is that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Jesus is talking about divorce and marriage, and he says, What God has brought together, let no man separate. When a marriage happens... God is involved. He unites two lives. He brings them together. He creates something new. And we get a chance to participate in that with him. How beautiful and amazing of a thing that is. We are created in the image of a creator. He created us. And what does he invite us to do? He invites us to create with him. And we can create a divine thing with him when we engage and participate in marriage. What a beautiful, incredible thing. It's amazing what God has invited us to share in, in this gift of marriage that he has given us. How can we conclude it is anything but essential to his plan? It was given to us in paradise, but even now in a sinful, fallen world, it has incredible ramifications and power. It can help us grow closer to him. It helps us see who he is more and more and learn about him more and more and more. But there is something that is very important about this. There is something that we cannot miss here. Because I'm still talking about a lot about my experience of marriage, which has been so amazing for two and a half months. So incredible. It's really a great time. You all should try being newlyweds sometime. It's a lot of fun. You, you, you know, whenever my wife gets home from school, I'm just so excited to see her. I get to wake up next to her every morning, go to bed with her. It's the greatest thing in the world. I don't know why everybody doesn't just try to be newlyweds all the time. I mean, come on. It's great. Why not? 
You see, one of the things that we can take away from this, one of the things that we can understand from both Genesis and Ephesians is that God's plan is a healthy marriage, is the closest thing to heaven on earth. And the very, very, very key word there is healthy. We all know people who have gone through divorce or marital struggles. We all know people who if we were to talk to them about marriage or if they heard all of what I've said, they'd be like, yeah, right. They'd say, let me tell you about my marriage experience. Let me tell you about what I went through being married. And instead of talking about love and joy and intimacy and happiness, those would be the last words we would hear. We would hear about the anger, the pain, the strife. Because that's some people's experience of marriage, and that's what happens in a marriage sometimes. See, a healthy marriage is what God designed us to live in. That is the gift he gave us. When a marriage is healthy is when we can experience that love and that intimacy and that beauty, just like we experience in our relationship with Christ. But what about when those marriages get hard? when we experience the hardship, when the difficulty and the pain and the sin and the evil of this world comes in. And why does it come in? What is it that causes marriages to get so off track or to disintegrate into divorce? I don't know what all the statistics are at the top of my head, but I can tell you this. When I was going through college, when I was going through high school, when I was going through middle school, I had a lot of friends who had divorced parents. As I'm getting older, Thankfully, I'm still in the stage where all of my friends are getting married instead of unmarried, which is really thankful. But I've known people who've gone through divorces. I've seen it. I remember when I ran the youth ministry for a little bit, a lot of students had parents who had been divorced. It's a real experience in our culture. It's something that has happened so, so much. It's something that Jesus specifically talks about. One of the reasons he talks about it in Matthew chapter 19 is because in Judaism, and when Jesus was around, it had become very, very common, very, very prevalent. So while marriage is a beautiful gift from God, the idea of separating, the idea of divorce is ages old as well. So why is it so hard to maintain a good, healthy marriage. Well, let's focus on the why first. We live in a world that is not conducive to Christ. We live in a world that does not love Christ. We live in a world that does not love God's plan. And what is this world? This world is opposed to God's plan. This world takes every gift that God has given us and tries to pervert it. What did the world do to the law that God gave the Israelites? That God gave the law to the Israelites to help them so they could become better, so they could become closer to him. And what happened? Legalism. God gives us freedom in him. And what does the world do with that? Well, we have endless grace. Let us go on sinning. 
The world perverts everything that God gives to it because the world hates God. And so the world is opposed to God's plan. If you have a healthy marriage or you are seeking a healthy marriage, the world is opposed to you. The world does not want you to achieve that because the world does not want you to know God. So make no mistake. If you are trying to achieve a healthy marriage, whether you are in one or you are looking for one, the world is going to do everything it can to stop you. It is going to try to take that away from you. I mean, look at the story of creation. We've been talking today about how before the fall, God gives us marriage. But what happens in the next chapter? God has given Adam and Eve this beautiful, amazing garden, this paradise with him. And what happens? Satan comes in and tries to do everything he can to destroy destroy it, to take it away, to ruin it and pervert it. And that still happens today. So of course marriage is hard. Of course it is difficult sometimes because when we stand up and we try to have a healthy marriage the way that God intends, the world stands against us. So yes, there will be hardship. There will be difficulties. That will always, always happen. But we also know the one who overcame all that. We have a personal relationship with the one who defeated Satan and defeated death. But where does that put us? We know the world stands against us. We know that a healthy marriage is exactly what God wants for us, that it is part of his plan and it is beautiful and amazing and it's so close to heaven on earth. So what do we do next? What is our next step? What do we do with our life? Our life goal should be to work hard and to follow God's plan and purpose. That applies to every aspect of our life. It applies to our careers. It applies to our finances. It applies to where we live, it applies to every aspect of our life that our goal should be to work hard and to follow God's plan and purpose. But it also applies to our marriages. Where do we go when marriage gets hard? Where do we go when it becomes unhealthy, when it takes us away from God? Where do we go at that point? We have to go to Him. Our faith is essential to receiving God's gift. That's what we talked about last week. And it applies here too. If we're to receive God's gift of a healthy, true, beautiful marriage, we have to have faith in him there too. We have to trust him. We have to love him. We have to come to him so that we can have a strong, healthy, loving marriage. I'm going to give you a couple specific steps that you can do today. But know this before I give you any steps, before I tell you anything that you can do. You have to be motivated by love and you have to go to Christ. You have to humbly approach him and be open to any change that he will make in you. Because if you think that just taking steps, if you think that just reading a book or going to a class or going to a small group or talking to somebody or having a conversation with your spouse, if you think just the simple act of that is what is going to help, then you are going to be acting in religion and you will be let down. 
Again, I will give you a couple steps. But if you are not motivated by love and if you are not trying to take those steps to seek Christ and to know him personally, nothing I can tell you will ever make any difference. So what can we do? The church wants to help you. The church wants to foster healthy marriages. If it's as close to heaven on earth as possible, well, we want to do everything we can to bring that here. So this Friday, on October 2nd, there's going to be a live stream. I think they showed a little bit of a video bumper for it before this, uh, the service a little bit. It's called Marriage Night. And there's going to be this uh, stream cast or whatever the fancy technical term is for it. And we're going to be able, you can register for it. It's Marriage Night. It's on foothills.org slash events. Watch it with your spouse. Have a little watch party. Have friends over. Watch it together. Have dinner. Hang out. Have a good time. It's a great way to learn things, to listen to speakers, to listen to people who will talk to you about application, who will talk to you about ways the devil tries to attack your marriage, who will talk to you about simple ways that our culture tries to come at you and take you away from love. They will do what they can to give you tips, ideas, and additional steps forward to loving your spouse or if you're not married yet, to finding a spouse that you can love truly and with the love of Christ. Again, you have to be motivated by love. You must be humble to approach Jesus and ask him for help in this. But if you do that, that can be a great step to take. Another idea is to be part of a small group. If you want to have a healthy, strong, divinely inspired marriage that God is the center of, Pair with other couples who want the same thing. Start a small group with people who want to do that. Work with them. Meet with them. Have fellowship with them. Learn from them as you teach them. Foothills wants to be a small group-oriented church, and we want to help you set that up in whatever way we can. So those are a couple steps, but at the end of the day, the path is yours to walk. I would encourage you with everything that I can to find Christ, to turn to him for your marriage, to let your personal relationship with Jesus be the motivation to love your spouse or to find one. With Christ, we can build these healthy, strong marriages. We can understand why and how it's an essential part of his plan. And we can bring and get close to heaven on earth with it. Let's listen to Emma as she closes us out. Once again, we find ourselves at the end of another great worship service. As with any time we come together and focus on Jesus, we should always think about the next steps. The principle of the path is a concept that it doesn't really matter what you intend to do or dream about or even hope to do. It's the actual steps you take that get you to your destination. So where do you wanna go? I hope you want to grow deeper with God. I hope you wanna grow stronger in your faith. Most importantly, I hope you want your marriage, your family, and your community to be in a better place because you're a part of it. The first step is to meet Jesus personally. You can do this by downloading the booklet on our website, How to Connect with Jesus Christ. If you're on campus, you can come forward and talk to an elder or a pastor. If it's time for you to get baptized, whether you're at church at home, watching later, or on campus, 
Take a second and text FH Baptism to 97000. The same with prayer. We really want to pray with you because we believe it makes a massive difference. Simply text FH Prayer to 97000 if you need a prayer request. Foothills will never feel like a home or will never feel like a family until you connect to a small group. Find one today or you can meet new friends and be a part of one. After church today, we're having a tailgate. Even though there's not a lot of football going on, we can still have a tailgate and have fun, right? All the booths are done by our small groups and ministries within the church. It's such a great way to meet new people and we'll be out there between 12.15 and two o'clock today. If you're doing church at home, continue the conversation by doing the discussion questions. And if you're on campus, please stand for closing prayer.